You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Possibly My Last Words, recorded on September the 25th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. I want to share with you um, my last words. I, I don't know if they are to my wife who's listening. Honey, I'm not planning on these being them. But I narrowed it down to three guides for daily life. And then the three biggest things. The guides for daily life, I guess any person would think of different things. But I think these are very important. And that's why I'm going to share them with those who care. The three that I think are the most important things I think a lot of us would agree on. So here are the three guides for daily life that I, would, that I want to leave with you. As, as the last advice I could give, if you will, for how to live wisely. One, do all things without grumbling and complaining. That is a Bible verse. I'm telling you, it's a way of life. And those of you who know me are not surprised to hear me say that. But it's, it's, I think it's grumbling and complaining are deeper and bigger than we think. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing, in the ESV, complaining in the New American Standard, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is acknowledging that, look, you live in a twisted, crooked world, in an imperfect world, and in the midst of that twisted and crooked world, don't be known as a grumbler and a complainer. See, we grumble and complain when things go wrong, and we think we have a right to, and we don't have a right to. Furthermore, there's nothing productive that comes from being a grumbler and a complainer. Nothing good at all. No, no one wants to hear grumbling and complaining except there, you will meet the occasional person who loves it because that's all they want to do too. And boy, what an ugly community you form when two or three people just sit around complaining all the time. No one who hears them feels good. They don't feel good. And they're not solving anything. Nothing's getting better. To notice something's wrong in the world is normal. To do something constructive about it may be the thing to do. To complain about it is never the answer. God, Remember, God looks at complaining as a lack of faith. He opens up the ground and swallows people in the desert for complaining. Our mouths and what they say is so important. When we walk around saying, I hate this or I hate that. And, and over the little things, you're stealing other people's joy. They may not even notice it. They were in a better mood before they talked to you and they don't even know why they're not. Because you were complaining the whole time. I can't stand it when it does that. I hate my car for doing this. I hate this. I hate that. I don't like this. It's sin. It's wrong. It hurts you. It hurt. Look, I'm, this is my last words. I'm telling you, it's just, it's it's very important. Rather, we should be like Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Just don't let it out. But only such as is good for building up. I'm 52. I was hoping to give my last words at 92, but hey. One of the things I've learned this last year of my life is something I was taught before, but I just have to keep learning. 
If I can control my tongue, I can control my whole body. If I can control my tongue, I do. I can be more faithful and obedient. If I can control my tongue, I love people instead of hurting them. The most hurt I cause people in my life to this day is with my mouth. The most harm I cause myself is my unbelief with my mouth. Paul gives a rule. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Ephesians 4.29. Don't let it out. But instead, do let out that which is good for the building up. If every word I ever say is, how is this going to build up the person who hears it? It will change everything I say. And that's what I'm urging you to do because that's what God wants you to do. Some of you have to go through such serious change to get to this because you complain all the time and you think it's not a sin. Like you may not drink or beat your spouse or steal and you think, well, I ain't so bad, but you complain all the time. That's just as bad. You complain about the weather. You complain about your job. You complain about your boss. You complain about your pastor. Complain, 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 complain. Only such is good for building up. How do you build someone up? As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul's even acknowledging, look, you're going to have to make decisions here. In this particular situation, what words fit this occasion so that the people who hear are built up and not torn down? I'm begging you. The second guideline for life, and you can do that, by the way. And, and, and I've said that in the negative, telling you what not to do. Let me say that in the positive. If you start, accept, we have in, at Harvest, if you go on mission trips, we will give you this rule. Anything you want to complain about when you're in, in another country or another place, you say, it's just the way I like it. If someone else complains, I hate the food. You say, it's just the way I like it. If you get an itchy rash from the heat and someone, and you say, I hate this rash, as soon as you catch yourself, you say, but that's just the way I like it. Now, it can be a little silly. No one really likes a rash. But the point is, what does complaining about the rash do? But when you start to look at things in that way, you start to look at them with eyes of faith because you're trusting that God is really there. That you're, I'm not really left alone with pains in this life. There's a God. And one day everything's good. It's speaking words of faith. It's speaking words that lift people up. It keeps you from putting yourself in a downward spiral and putting others. And it actually turns it the other way. Second, do the right thing, especially when it costs you. Do the right thing. Everyone knows that, but do it when it costs you. If it's going to cost you your job, tell the truth. If it's going to embarrass you because it changes the whole project at school, if you do the integrity thing and tell the truth or don't steal or don't lie or do what you have to do, do it anyway. I think a lot of times uh, uh, the biggest mistake you can make in life tactically is when you think the rules bend if it hurts too much if it hurts me too much just go ahead and lie it's easier don't do the right thing remember joseph and potiphar's wife he ran away from her did the right thing and he got into jail for it daniel is perhaps easier to understand daniel don't pray to your God. He could have prayed to his God. He did it in front of the window. It cost him a lot. He got thrown to lion's den. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow to the king. You can always say, I'm not really bowing to the king. I'm just bowing so he doesn't kill me. In my heart, I know it's not true. They stood there and they were thrown in fire. And when told, you're going to be thrown in fire, they said, oh, king, God can save us from that fire. But even if he doesn't, we're going to do the right thing. I think of Esther who went before her husband king in a time when she needed to do the right thing and have some courage. It could have cost her her life. She said, if I die, I die. I don't know what to add to that. Just keep that as a rule for your life. Do the right thing even when it costs you. Especially when it costs you. The final guideline before I get to the three biggest things is enjoy life. Enjoy life. Do we say that enough? That's a biblical idea. Enjoy life. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, I have seen nothing that is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Nothing. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your job. And if you can't enjoy the whole job, enjoy parts of the job. Be, just enjoy life. Drink it in deep. Give thanks for what you have. And since you've given up complaining, you're not thinking about what you don't have. Give thanks for the people in the room instead of crying all, all the time about people in another room. Enjoy the food you eat. If you're not going to enjoy it, don't eat it. But if you are going to eat it, say, mmm, this is good. Try this. See if it works. Instead of praying, God, bless this food to our body and nourish, help it nourish us so we're strong to serve you, which is very utilitarian, why not say this? God, thank you for this pizza because it's got pepperoni and mushrooms and it's hot and the cheese is so good and oh, it tastes so great. Just thank you because it tastes so great. Do you think God's going to be insulted? You're not supposed to enjoy it unless it strengthens your body for service. Who says? Very interesting couple of verses in Deuteronomy 28, 47. Listen carefully. I want to read this to you. This is from the word of God. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst. That's in the Bible. Deuteron- if you, take, you say, where is that? Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. He, God is telling Israel, listen, I gave you abundance. I gave you good things. And I said, serve me with joyfulness and gladness of heart. It's really not a good thing when the church is all long-faced. And to, and to find the truth of this, you have to listen to a Bruce Springsteen song where he says, it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. Bruce Springsteen is far from right on Salvation Matters. But he's dead on there. It ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. You don't have to feel guilty about enjoying what you have. If you feel guilty about enjoying what you have, give it away. Because whatever is not of faith is of sin. Life is good. Yes, there's hardships. Sin has scarred everything, and everything we have is going to break, and all of us are going to die. There's a happy thought. But after that, if you know Christ, you have eternity. So every little pleasure on this earth, enjoy. I'm not talking about hedonism, living for those pleasures. I'm talking about saying thank you, God, all day long to every good thing. 
Every good thing. Your car, a book you read in the green grass. Enjoy them. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. If I die and I'm not known as a person who enjoyed my life, I would feel like a colossal failure. Having fun. If you live just to have fun, yeah, you're going to live a life of sin. But if you think life isn't filled with fun, you're also going to live a life of sin. It's good to be alive. Well, those three are as close as I'm going to get to a graduation ceremony speech, but I want to get them in there. Do everything without complaining. Do the right thing when it costs you and enjoy every day. But now I want to talk about the three biggest things because if it's my last shot, I need to talk about things more serious than those, even though they are serious. So here they are, and all three are Bible verses. So as you write these down in your map, you're actually writing the Word of God. Ready? Number one from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. If you drive through Lancaster County, you'll see there's some Mennonites or Amish or someone puts that on a sign. (laughs) Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. There's an urgency there. Look for the Lord. Now, Now, if you look for the Lord saying, well, I'm a good guy, I'm looking for the Lord, you're missing what it's saying. You've got to understand you're a sinner. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So the unrighteous and the wicked, go find God now. While he may be found. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. That's the good news. God is compassionate to the repentant sinner and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Run to Jesus now. Listen, I want you to know I'm safe. I slid in home years ago. Safe. I was running in sin. I was doing that which a man ought not do. I was going the wrong direction. I heard the good news and I... Jesus said, he who trusts in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Well, if these are my last words, I'm safe. Because I can't die. I cannot die. When, when, what's that going to be like? You ever think about the moment you're going to die? What is it going to be like? Back in the old days, before cable, TVs would often have fuzz. You could turn a channel, and you'd have a fuzzy channel, and another fuzzy channel, clink, 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 then a clear channel, because that was the channel. And I, I wonder if you die as a Christian, do you go through a couple fuzzy channels and then zip into heaven? No. Do you, does your spirit go by some smelly place full of death and sin? Does it smell the smoke of hell and then up you go? No. Does Satan grab you for a second and Jesus punches him in the head and pulls you out, but for a second you're in the grip of fear? No. He who lives never dies. Which means... The moment of death for the Christian is a moment when everything gets better, clearer, easier. At the moment of death. The thoughts are no longer hindered by a body, that, a brain that might not be getting enough oxygen. Right? The weaknesses of this flesh. The ability of the devil to tempt is gone. Because you're not in the flesh anymore. Your health is perfect. So you actually, the moment you die... That is clear channel, baby. That is when you are really alive. 
That's my destiny because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for me. But that doesn't mean it's your destiny. Are you saying this is fire and brimstone? Look, these are my last words. When else am I going to tell you? Yes, I'm saying it's fire and brimstone. Your sin will send you to hell. Your sin, and you have it, will send you to hell. I once heard a, a message from a brother where he said sin, he, he, he had an Indian accent, and he said, sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. I heard that message, I don't know, almost 20 years ago, and I still remember that. Sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. It binds because you're a chain. The Bible says whoever sins is a slave to sin, and boy, isn't that true. You, may have a, you might be enslaved to a sin right now. And before you did that one, it never bothered you. But once you entered in, it got hold of you like chains on your wrist. And you cannot get free. You have not been free. Sin has got you in its grips. But he also points out sin blinds. And that is very true also. The Bible teaches us that when you sin, you become self-deceived. The Satan, it says, blinds the eyes of unbelievers. You, 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 you will actually begin to believe sins aren't sins. Sin blinds you. There's a culture where everybody sleeps with people they're not married to. And there's even Christians who are blind and think this does not, is not an abomination before God that they do this. It is. And if you're sitting there, I know some of you are hearing me, you're doing it. I, I'm, I'm, my last words, I'm not going to soft soap. It's an abomination. And you act like it's no big deal. You're blind. You get in the habit of lying or stealing or being angry all the time and yelling at their family, envy, and you start to justify it like it's not even bad. Gossip, complainers, bringing division into the church and making yourself a martyr while you do it. Oh, they didn't love me right. You're blind. You're dividing God's house. Sin blinds. Finally, he said in that message, incorrectly, sin doesn't only bind you and blind you, it grinds you. And that's the truth. That is the truth. You'll never see anyone who seems more liberated than a person who has just realized that Christ forgave all their sins. Or someone who has been in sin and felt the shame of that, pushing them down. And they've went and done what the Bible said, confessed it to a brother. Say, I did this sin over here. And nobody knows but me. And I'm so ashamed that person shares them the grace of Christ. And they go, oh, brother, I'm free. Because sin grinds us down. Even when, you know, if you're in a secret sin and you think, uh, I don't know the right time to repent or confess this, but I think I'm going to wait. It never gets easier than right now. Because what you feel grinding on you only pushes harder and farther and longer. Sin is not your friend. And worst of all, this is not in my friend's sermon Sin is always an affront and an offense to God. He never goes, oh, that's okay. I expected that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. We are saved by faith in Christ. Jesus did all the work on the cross when he died for your sin. But we do not come with him to him and say, here, make my sin okay. 
We say, I take my sin away. I'm bound to it. I'm blinded by it. It's crushing me. Get it off me. And he does. The Bible says he will abundantly pardon. Let me pile some Bible on you for my last words. Let God speak to you here. Psalm 32, 5 and 6. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. See, David said, I stopped hiding. I stopped lying to myself and showed you my sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he find out? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you need to do that, do it today. Do it even now while you're in your chair. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, God, at a time when you may be found. You know what the hint is? He's not always going to, you know, I'll get to this one day. No, you probably won't. There's two reasons why. One, you don't know when your last second is. It could happen suddenly. But second, and this is a little more chilling, God doesn't promise you that you will want to give it up another time. If you want it all to do it now, you don't, it takes the work of God to, to, to open your eyes enough to see this and want this. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Deuteronomy 4, 29 to 31. But from you, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. He's not found by the casual. He's found by the one who says, okay, no matter what it, the truth, where the truth leads me, no matter what you have to say, God, if you say it, it's true, I'm with you. It doesn't matter what it costs me. He's, that's the one who searches. That's how you search with all your soul. You say it doesn't matter what it costs. He's not found for the casual observer. There's a lot of people, you can drag your friends to church, say, come on, you'll like this. They're like, oh, great, that was okay, but, you know. And, you, you know, they're not going to find them. You're not going to find them unless you look with all your soul. When you're in tribulation or trouble, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord. Now, God is talking to the nation of Israel, but the principle is true for anyone. And all these Things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Jeremiah 29, 13. Here's the promise again. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. But you got to look. Knock, and it will be open to you. My wife, when, when we got saved around the same day, and, and she, 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 was, she was certain God didn't want her to have a lot of fun. And she had had a lot of pain in her young life, a lot of very deep pain, including a lot of betrayals, some abuse, and, 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 a, and a beloved father dying when she was 16. And, and not only was she thought, well, God must be doing something wrong. He's hurting me. My life isn't any good. But also when I do come to him, he's going to be my fun thief. He's going to take all the fun away. So maybe I'll come to him one day. But then someone preached and said, 
God's not trying to screw up your life. And the Holy Spirit pulled the blinders off and she realized, why am I not giving everything? Why am I not coming to him? He wants my good. And here's Jesus saying, if you ask, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it'll be open. Or which one of you? This is Jesus trying to tell you how God will receive you if you'll come to him. If his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? (laughs) No. Can I have some fish dinner? How about a rattlesnake? (laughs) No. And then he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All the forgiveness of sins, all your shame, no matter what you did, the, the chains that are on you, the blindness on your eyes and the crushing weight of sin, Jesus will take it away in exchange for that. He'll give you his Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, and the promise of life everlasting. And until you get there, he promises, I will be with you. So run to him now. I ran to him. I'm safe tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow brings. Jesus said in Luke to warn us, chapter 12, verse 16. And he said, he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll, I'll build larger ones. And, and there I will store all my grains. I have all this money. I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to buy some rental properties and I'm going to invest in a 401k and maybe a vacation house and maybe some gold. And I'll hide it away in a, in a, in a safe with my beans and my bullets in the basement so that when the bad guys come, I have something. And, and I'm just going to save my money and, and invest over here. I'm going to have it over there so that I have my money. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. For many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Finally, I made it to the to Easy Street. I'm, I'm going to Palm Springs, and I'm going to play shuffleboard. <laughs> but God said to him, God said this, Fool! This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, who Whose will they be? Who gets those things? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's very important you get this. And I don't care how many times you've been to church because Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Don't be left behind. Don't die in your sins. If you are not a follower of Christ, and I don't mean a religious guy who everyone thinks is a follower of Christ. If you are in your sin, don't stay there. Run, don't walk. Go find the Lord while he can be found. Today is the day of forgiveness of sins. It's not guaranteed forever. In fact, you could be like that rich guy who one day thinks, I got it made here. And Jesus says, you fool. You do not want to stand before God and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, wait a minute. Would you see my Sunday school record? 
I was even good at criticizing my church because they didn't do Sunday school right. I mean, I was holier than the rest of them. I prayed my little beads. I showed up. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. I know I'm yelling at you, but it's my last chance to yell at you, I guess. But that's because the stakes are high. It's your soul. Second thing that I think is very important. If you seek the Lord, and by the way, just a promise, if you seek him, he died to save you. Jesus said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world, but the world may be saved. Jesus, the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The whole point isn't to condemn you for your sin. I'm a sinner. I'm not better than you in any way. The only difference between me and you, if you don't know Christ, is I have said, Jesus, I can't do this. I must turn my back on everything. Whatever I am, I give to you. I know you want everything, and it ain't much, but here you can have it. And he forgave my sins. Do that! Don't die in your sin! It's just foolish, because you're going to be dead real soon. And you will meet Jesus on good terms or bad. Second important thing here is Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, Paul says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, there's a lot to be explored there, but the part I want to stress here is we must work hard to maintain the unity of the church. In my life, I don't think, as a Christian, I've striven for anything else. I mean, I didn't think about that until I was writing my last words. Then I realized that this is the narrative of my soul. And it's not easy, because people are sinners, and they all have reasons for mistrusting one another, mistrusting me, criticizing, fighting. And the church is... And families, families are the same. Good family still has to fight for unity. If you're in a family that's not so healthy and you see a family that is healthy and they are healthy, if you think they're not healthy, it's not like falling out of bed for them. They're fighting for that health. They're fighting for that unity. Someone's saying, we've got to not do this anymore. We've got to fix how we think. And it's not once. It's every year of that family's existence. And it's the same in the church. And here is Paul saying, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The Bible commands unity. I don't know how many sermons on it I've preached. Probably not enough. But I know I've hardly heard any. Unity. That means loyalty. That means trust. First Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. That's a command, brothers. I've tried to have it as long as I've lived. And if these are my last words, all I can say to you is you need to work at that. Every day. First importance. Have unity of mind. How do you get that? He, he gives you hints here. 
through sympathy, through brotherly love, through a tender heart, and a humble mind. That humble mind is probably one of the most important. Not thinking you're always right, know all the answers. That's funny coming from me. Anyone who knows me knows that since I was a baby, since I was a child, if they knew me then, I was always right. If you want to know what's right, just ask me. And I never backed down enough. But life has a way of teaching you many, 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 many times. I remember my, my mom, oh, my dad once said, look, if everyone else thinks you're wrong, but you think you're right, you might be right, but most likely you're not. And that was one of the best lessons I ever learned. And all my life I've been learning. You're not always right. Have a humble mind. Have sympathy. Have brotherly love. I preach this to myself and I hope you preach it to yourself because one thing I'm certain of about unity, it won't work if I walk around telling you something that I don't practice. Even if if another person is unsympathetic and shows me no love and isn't tenderhearted to me and is not humble in their mind, I could say, well, there's my problem, you. But that's not what it says. I need to say to myself, well, regardless of that, how do I know that we're supposed to look at it and look at ourselves? Because verse 9 says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless those, bless for, for the issue we're called. So that be, so being a pastor, one of the things I learned is don't defend myself. So often, people get mad about something and I'll give them a lot of love and a lot of attention. And then they'll walk off of the church anyway and then tell everyone how awful I am. And you know what I do about that? I let them talk. Why? A couple reasons. One, I I probably could improve. Two, they can revile me, but I don't have to win that. I can, I want them to come back and love me. (laughs) I'm not going to throw them under the bus. The world doesn't need to know everything. Well, that's not just for pastors. That's for all of us. John 17, Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. He said, I don't ask for these only, God, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one. Even as we are one. When I read those words and have read those through the years, I thought, Jesus, how hard is this to pull off? You and the Father are one, sure. And when you're there with the 12, it's easy. You can mop things up with authority. It's hard to keep a bunch of people with oneness. But he prays for it. We're commanded it. So what I'm saying is we should never say to God, I can't figure out how to make this easy so I don't have to obey it. He says, do it, so I have to do it and I give my life to it. But it leads me to the question that I ask, how can there be unity? How can there be oneness when I don't always agree on the fine points of doctrine or how to do anything in a church? It seems impossible. Until I learn from the scripture. That unity in the church is not sameness. It is not uniformity. It's not even unanimity. In other words, we don't have to agree on all points. We just have to agree on a couple. One being 
who Jesus is, who God is. But after that, I want to give you the secret of unity that God has taught me and that I try to live in. And when I fail, please forgive me. Hopefully you can do that. You can understand I'm a man and not sinless. I'm not an angel. But I do my best to live by this. Philippians 2, 1 to 7. So, and this is where the secret is to unity, I found. Let me show you. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, and he's not saying if, there is encouragement in Christ. His point is, since Christ has encouraged you through his Holy Spirit, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection, any sympathy, you don't have to have a lot of sympathy. I don't have to have a lot of sympathy, just some. If there's any, if I have any sympathy in me at all, any comfort from God in me at all, any love or affection in me at all, he says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Okay, there's that unity. But notice he's talking about, I'm taking the things God's given me, comfort, encouragement, love, affection, sympathy. He's not talking about agreement on everything. And then he says, having the same love, there's your unity. I'm going to stop there before finishing the sentence. You see, I can be unified with anyone who loves me if I love them. That's where the unity is. It doesn't mean we agree on everything. Me and my wife don't agree on everything. We don't agree on clothing I wear. And she's probably right most of the time. (laughs) We always don't agree on light fixtures that should be hanging from a certain ceiling. But we can agree that we have the same love for each other. Because now watch, watch, watch how he does this. Being of full accord and with one mind. He says have the same mind, have the same love, have one mind. So he's going to give us the secret of this unity that Jesus wants us to have. He keeps saying it. Be of the same mind, same love, one mind. If you have any encouragement, he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Well, this is the way I want to do it and you won't let me. No, no, don't do that. But in humility, watch this. Count others more important than yourselves. That's the secret. You see, I can either say, oh, you've hurt me, and I'm so important, and you really haven't been good enough saying you're sorry. You really haven't sucked up to me enough. And look at my hurts. That's saying I'm more important than you. I'm not saying I'm never hurt and that I should never express it. I do express when I'm hurt sometimes if I can't get over it. But I don't live like that's the narrative of my life. In fact, the narrative of my life is supposed to be this. Do nothing from that, but look at others as more important than yourself. I'm not saying others are more important than me, by the way. And I'm not saying that I'm more important than others. I think we can all recognize that we're all important. But he's not saying who's more important. He's saying count others as more important. Now this translation is significant. I don't think that's a good translation because significant is a weak word, but important is what they're trying to get at. I can count you as more important. I can think we're equal in importance before God, but when I act, I want to act like you're more important than me. Now you might be thinking, if I do that, people will take advantage of me. Well, that's a risk you're going to have to take, isn't it? It's a risk that'll heal all those psychological hurts that you call baggage. It will. It's a risk Jesus took every day. It's a risk that's under the cross. But here's something that's beautiful. If I do that and you do that to me, 
we're united. It doesn't matter which fixture. One thing I know is you're more important than I. No, no, you're more important. Well, let's figure this out then. You know, how do you figure out unlimited atonement? How do you figure out limited atonement? Well, I'm going to fight you. I don't know. Should a church have community groups or Wednesday nights? Well, any church doesn't have Wednesday nights. Stupid. Maybe. What if the people in that church are more important than you in your mind? <laughs> she thinks all the bridesmaids' dresses should be this color or have this sash. It's horrible. You think it's horrible too, don't you? Well, maybe it is. I don't know, but who's more important to you? Well, I am. Thank you. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. You've got to look out for your own interests, but even that, I think he's saying take care of yourself so you're not a burden. Take care of your own emotions. Take care of your own self. Wash yourself. Get a job. Pay for yourself as much as you can or should. But don't just do that. And say, well, I'm done. I took care of me. No, look out for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. That's the key here, folks. He already said, do everything from the same mind. If you go back a little bit, having the same love and being of one mind. Here he's using the word mind again. And he says, have this mind. What mind? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the way Jesus thinks. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men. His, his, Jesus was one with us. He unified with us, not because we agreed with him. In fact, we were his enemies. Not because we were good. We weren't good. Not because our ways were smart. They weren't smart. He joined our group saying, I know I'm God. But I'm going to treat these people like they're more important than myself. For even, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Folks, if I'm going out, can I ask you to just remember that? That's where unity is. It's sitting there, right there. If you're not come to be served, but to serve, if you stop sitting around thinking the whole world revolves around your hurts and your needs and start realizing there's someone else out there has needs, I'm here to look at that as more important well, they'll get stepped on. No, you won't. But if you are, you're stepped on like Christ is stepped on. Then he'll be right there inside you. He cares for your needs, doesn't he? Cast your cares on him because he cares. So if other people step on him, they step on him. Listen, one thing I've learned is you're not going to learn to trust and love in a vulnerable Christian way unless you're ready to get scars in your back and to turn around and bless the people who put them there. I haven't always done that well. But I know by the grace of God, I've done that often. And I'm inviting you to join me in that. I'm not the most important person in the room. It doesn't matter if these are my last words because you don't need me. But I look at you as very important. In fact, let me give you this picture. I saw that movie Sully about this pilot who, who has to get 155 souls safe. And that if you watch this movie, I'm not going to give anything away, but that's the over powering value of his. How do I get these 155 souls? Do you know all I think my life is worth? It's whether or not you, you get safely to heaven. 
That's all I think I'm here for. And I'm saying this to my wife. I'm saying this to my kids. I'm saying it to my grandkids. And I'm, the people God has put in my world and definitely everyone who will call me pastor. That's my only concern is you. I don't pull it off right all the time. I'm no perfect pilot. But that's my only concern. And now I'm asking you copy that. Make it your one concern that the people around you are blessed that they're more important, that they get there at the end. Love is the central thing. We love God, we love others, but it's not a Sunday school answer. Like in a Sunday school, you always get that right. What's a great command? Love God, love others. Good for you. But rather, it's the product. It is a product. It comes out of the Spirit-filled people. First John, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. How you feeling now? Are you envying other Christians? Are you not appreciating them? Are you hoping they die a little bit? If this is, we all struggle sometime in relationships, but if it's what your normal world is, my friends, you have to start wondering, does the Holy Spirit live in me at all? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. My friends, forgive each other. Forgive me. And then tell me what you're forgiving me for so I can change if I have to. It could be, I don't have to do anything wrong, you just shouldn't be offended. But if I did it, believe me, lots of people tell me. You, and, and, and I actually say it to others. I'm really a jerk. I shouldn't have said that. And I'll forgive you. And you forgive each other. Keep short accounts. Once you've forgiven it, forget forget it. Don't be easily offended. Don't walk around waiting to be offended. Be generous with others. And I mean generous in every way you can use the word generous. Anything that pulls back when I say be generous shows you a lack of love or lack of importance that someone else has to you. It's the flesh. See, each more person is more important than yourself. I've not done this perfectly, but I've dedicated uh, my time with you to nothing else. Finally, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. And that's the last thing. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. You have a race set before you. Run it! I'm not going to enter a marathon. You know why? Those people run 26 miles. I might get the sticker on my car that says 26 point whatever. (laughs) But I ain't going to run it. No, I'm not getting the sticker either. I already know how long that race is. And I ain't going to run 26 miles. I might enter a 100 yard race. I can make that. I don't want to start a race. I'm not going to finish. My life is a race. And I'm going to finish that one. Are you? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. I mean, (laughs) that's how I run. I see Jesus. I don't see anything else. There's stuff flying in from the sides trying to get me to go here or there. I can't look at it. All I see is Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's how he did. He ran his race to the cross, through the cross, into heaven and into joy. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me lay aside, Mike, lay aside your weights and lay aside your sins that cling to you so closely and run with endurance. Christians 
my brothers and sisters, especially those who have been running with me for a year, two years. Some of you have been running with me for 10 years, 11 years. Some of you have been running with me, if my wife, for over 30 years. I want to run till it is my last breath and I'm going to get to the end. If I look to my right or my left, be there. Don't quit. I, I, I am shocked at how many people, when I was a new Christian, a young adult, how many people I knew left the faith. They quit. They ran off to sin. They ran off to other foolishness. And I never expected it. I thought, we're all in this together. Let's get to the end. My friend, if you're a Christian, there's going to be people who are with you now who will not be with you at the end. They'll quit. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. But don't quit with them. You say, why do they turn away? Well, pleasures of life, fear of man, laziness, rebellion. They just want sex with some person. All kinds of reasons. But you say, doesn't God keep his own? If he saves us, how do we get away? He does keep his own. But the mark of the ones he keeps is that they don't quit. In other words, to not quit is a feature. To put it this way, if I made a table and the legs were of balsa wood, and I made a table and the legs were steel, and I painted the balsa wood so it looked like steel, and I painted the steel that looked like wood, and it looked perfect, how would you know which was which? You put your weight on either of them, the steel will show itself and the balsa wood will show itself. The test of the ones Jesus has saved and lives in is that they don't quit. And he wants us to think about that. Say, so wouldn't we just not quit? No, the means by which we don't quit is he encourages us. There are those who look like they're among you, who are running with you, who are run away. And of those, here's what John the, John the Apostle says in 1 John 2. He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. And it's as sad as it is. There's people right now in the midst of us as Christians who will leave the church and leave the faith altogether. I'm not talking about people go to another church and serve faithfully there. I mean, they'll just leave everything. And you go, what happened? And some will tell them, that, you're still saved. They prayed the sinner's prayer. They may be or they may be on their way to hell. Because one of the signs of people who don't have Christ is they quit. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be, become plain that they were not. They all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. If you're anointed with the Holy One, if you truly have the Spirit, He's saying, you'll stay. How do I know which ones aren't going to stay? <laughs> Just wait. Jesus said, a certain man had a field and he planted his wheat in there, but his enemy came by night and planted uh, weeds. And, 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 and after a while, they both grew up and his, his servants came and said, your enemy has planted weeds. Look, there's weeds in with our crop. And he says, I know my enemy's done this. And he, he said, should we pull them all up? And he says, no, 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 don't pull them up. Because if you pull up all the weeds, you'll end up pulling up the wheat. Let them both grow. When they're all both tall, we'll harvest it all, and it'll be easy to separate then. Jesus gave this parable so we would understand. So you could be encouraged. Not so you could walk around trying to figure out who's saved and who's not. I always assume you're saved. If you tell me you love Jesus, I just believe it. But so you can be encouraged to know if someone falls away, God's still got you. At the end, we'll know. 
We don't quit. 33 years ago, Christ saved me. And I set my face towards him. I was not that purposeful. I was not that ambitious. I was not that motivated. I didn't set goals. I lived for pleasure. I lived for myself. I was shallow. But he put something in front of me that was more valuable. And he put the taste in my spirit. He put himself in my heart. I'm using figurative language. He... Holy Spirit came into me and Jesus became the most important thing in my life and I set my face towards him and no matter what I've done step backward uh, in sin once in a while sure had many hardships and many good times but I have never moved my eyes I got nowhere else to go but him he's been faithful to me all the way we sing a song here called Oh God next time it's sung if it's sung again soon think about the words because that's what they say Or, let's go back to Fanny Crosby. All the way my Savior leads me. He's, with each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial. Feeds me with a living bread. How's that song end? When my uh, weary, I can't remember how it ends, except for this. She ends it with, uh, when we're in heaven, I will look back and say, Jesus led me all the way. Much has happened between 33 years ago and my last breath. But I can say with Paul, and I will say if he gives me 30 more years of breath, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So let this be my last word to you. If you have been in this church for any time, you have heard me say that when I die, I have no other hope except Christ died for sinners. When I leave this body and my soul goes into the netherland, I will not fear. Not because I'm good or righteous or a pastor, but because Christ died for sinners and I am one. And I've stuck with him because he has kept me and I've kept my eyes on him. And if this is the last time you hear from me, I will be there. Here is my last appeal to you. Meet me there. Don't let this be the last time we talk. Are you a Christian? Run hard and don't quit. Throw away the sin. Strive for the unity of the church. Leave complaining off your tongue and like a joyous warrior, run towards Jesus no matter what comes. And if you're not a Christian, seek the Lord now while he may be found. Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he died for sinners and he loves you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.